Hello and welcome to another Care Home Management Magazine podcast. I'm Alan Rustad and today we're looking at compliance in the care home sector and in particular four different elements that care home directors, owners and managers need to be very much aware of. We're looking at this from the perspective of legal, inspection, staffing compliance and also uh, making sure that the outside of your care home is up to scratch as well. Very much compliance from the inside and the outside coming up. As ever, this podcast is kindly sponsored by RotorCloud, online software that makes managing your care home's rotors, timesheets, and annual leave easy. I'm delighted to welcome our four contributors today. They are Neil Grant, who is a partner at Gordon's Partnership Solicitors, Bradley Lambert, who is the Managing Director of First Choice Nursing Group, Josh Tedstone, the director at SFI Limited, that specialist for Sander Inspections, and Dr. Kevin Groombridge, chief executive of Care Inspections. So thank you all for joining me. As ever, to give our listeners a little bit more information about the three of you, perhaps in about 30 seconds or so, you can just introduce yourselves and tell us a little more about your companies. So Neil, can you lead us off, please? Uh, thank you, Alan. Yes. Um, so my name is Neil Grant. I'm a regulatory lawyer uh, and I've been working in health and social care for over 30 years now. Uh, and we only act for providers. We don't act for commissioners or, or regulators. Um, and we do a lot of work um, linked to the Care Quality Commission. Um, but Gordon's Partnership is a full service firm. So we do all aspects of law uh, and uh, that can be provided to the health sector and social care sector as well. Great. Thank you very much indeed, Neil. On to Care Inspections. And uh, Kevin, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hello. I'm uh, Kevin Groombridge. I'm the Chief Executive of Care Inspections UK. Um, Care Inspections UK is the only registered and accredited inspection body for care homes in the United Kingdom. Um, and the organisation's been going since 2016. Uh, my background is uh, as a clinician and a manager in, in various uh, uh, guises in the NHS and uh, uh, social care, um, including uh, commercial and uh, not-for-profit care homes. Great. Thank you very much indeed. On to first choice then and uh, staffing. And uh, that's uh, Bradley Lambert. Yeah, I'm Bradley Lambert. I'm managing director of First Choice Nursing. We are a short-term staffing provider for the private sector. Uh, we're currently undergoing um, bids for the NHS. We're campaigning massively for much stricter compliance against agencies um, through the likes of ABSCO um, and to CQC. And we're one of very few agencies that are actually CQC registered. Uh, and we're, we're, we're all for tightening up the, uh, the the rules on agencies. That's interesting. We look forward to hearing a little bit more about that in uh, in due course. And finally, last but not least, let's go to Josh Tedstone of SFI. Good morning. Um, I'm Josh Tedstone, Director of SFI, Specialist Facade Inspections. And what we specialise in is that we're a cladding inspection company that work throughout the whole of the UK um, to ensure that the external walling of your building is compliant and up-to-date with current building regulations. Okay, well, let's begin with uh, looking at compliance in its widest sense, and probably beginning with a legal perspective seems to make sense. So, Neil, would you like to uh, look at that? Because compliance covers so many wide fields, even amongst uh, the people we have here today in their various parts. So uh, how would you define it uh, as it stands at the moment? Well, I suppose 
at its simplest, it's actually complying with legal requirements. But that's very broad indeed, um, as you've alluded to. Uh, It's not just the Care Quality Commission. There are many um, agencies that impact um, on health and social care providers. Uh, We've got the Health and Safety Executive, uh, potentially, Environmental Health. Uh, There's the Home Office with immigration rules. There's HMRC with the national minimum wage and medication i could i could go on uh, and on and sometimes it's quite straightforward to ascertain whether a registered provider or registered manager is compliant or not so if someone sadly dies in a care home there's an obligation to put a statutory notification into cqc if that doesn't happen uh, that's a statutory offence uh, so that's a fairly straightforward one to, uh, to to deal with. Other times, it's more complicated, particularly where the legislation is sort of broadly defined. Uh, and one of the issues is with CQC, if I may come back to them, that the fundamental standards, uh, as they're called, are actually just headlines. What it means is that uh, very often it comes down to matters of judgment uh, as to whether or not a provider or a manager is complying with uh, a particular regulation. It could be Regulation 12, Safe Care and Treatment, Regulation 17, Good Governance. Um, So then it can become sort of more uh, subjective and entangled and a matter of debate. And also the consequences of non-compliance can vary quite substantially. So some of the fundamental standards under CQC's jurisdiction um, lead to offences if there's non-compliance, which are prosecutable in certain cases. And Regulation 12, Safe Care and Treatment, is one example of that. Uh, Regulation 13, Safeguarding as well. But there are other fundamental standards that don't give rise to an offence if uh, they are breached. For example, Regulation 17, um, Good Governance. Uh, That would lead to a sort of civil sanction, I suppose, if there was non-compliance and CQC thought that they needed to take enforcement action. The issue about how um, agencies respond to um, compliance um, is interesting as well, because sometimes it can be inconsistent. So, for example, even within CQC, um, it is inconsistent or it has been. So with adult social care, they take the view that um, if there's a, a breach Uh, of a a statutory requirement, then that really ought to lead to a requirement notice being set um, in the inspection report, requiring them to do uh, something to put the the service back into compliance. If you compare it with independent healthcare, however, they take uh, a view that uh, while some things may actually sort of warrant the definition of a a breach and, and lead to enforcement action, even if technically you're in breach of something, in some cases it would be disproportionate to actually find um, the provider to be in breach um, of a particular sort of regulation. So even within CQC, there are sort of differences um, of approach. And do you find, can I just ask that, do you find with clients that you have to deal with that often, or not often, but occasionally they will be in breach when they think they've been acting perfectly normally? Well, that's a, a good point, actually, Alan. And I do come across situations where, Um, I speak to clients and um, my advice on looking at the facts and the evidence is that I do not think they are actually in breach of regulation. So I had one particular client where we looked uh, at the evidence very carefully, detailed factual accuracy comments were put into CQC. CQC dismissed most of those factual accuracy comments. And then you have to submit what is called a report of actions, which is an action plan saying, you know, what you're going to do to put the situation right. 
So I advised my client that I didn't think that they should be completing that document because I was quite clear on the evidence that I didn't think they were in breach. So what they had to do in that situation was they had to put in a response, a report, because the um, report of actions is a requirement um, under Regulation 17.3 of the uh, the 2014 regulation. So if you didn't put a report in, um, you'd be in breach of the law. But uh, we very studiously and carefully sort of indicated why we thought we were not in breach, continued not to be in breach, but also then setting out under the particular regulations, giving CQC an update about how um, compliance was being sort of achieved and sort of maintained. So, yeah, that's a very um, good point that you make there. Well, we'll come back to some other points in a moment. Let me just widen this out then and bring in Kevin here at Care Inspections. What you've been hearing Neil just say, presumably that's very much on your mind when you carry out inspections in care homes from your own perspective. Yes, Alan, I think the thing to remember is that um, the approach by organisations such as CQC is very much about finding fault. Uh, Their inspection process is not about um, helping a care home to improve. Mm. Uh, This is one of the issues that um, (coughs) CQC um, have been criticised very heavily about. And this is why independent care inspections bodies have been established. It's interesting to note that the organisations like Care Inspections UK was established um, as a direct result by the four regulators in the United Kingdom, the universities, various other organisations, including providers. And what is interesting to note is there was a very high degree of need to try and split inspections away from uh, regulation. What we do need is a very good and effective regulator of care. It's a very important part of the process of ensuring that that care is properly controlled. But inspection needs to focus in, in an evidence-based way, on achieving better outcomes for residents. Now, this is what independent inspection bodies do. This is based upon the best practice in other countries. If you take, for example, the Netherlands, they have a very different approach. They have independent inspection bodies that are properly accountable in ways that CQC aren't accountable. They're not accountable really for anything they do. They are only accountable to themselves in the sense that you can't actually get at any of their notes, um, as Neil will will, will no doubt tell, tell us in his experience, trying to, to actually understand how CQC have come to any of their judgments is very difficult because the system is quite opaque. With a proper inspection body, all of the the information that's used to create an inspection report has to be made available to the the client or anybody that wants to see it. This is very similar, as I said, to the Netherlands, parts of Germany, Scandinavia, parts of the United States, Australia, etc. I was going to say, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to, to other aspects of that in just a moment, if we may, <coughs> because that, that's interesting. And uh, I'll come back to Neil to get his his take on that as well. But let me let me bring in um, uh, Bradley at this stage. You're obviously providing staff to care homes on a daily mm-hmm. basis. How much of your life is spent worrying about whether you're compliant uh, and you're getting it absolutely right? We have focused solely um, on building um, our, our compliance team. Um, it's the first 
stumbling block that we will ever come across. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad that uh, Kevin will probably back me up on this. There, there is so much freedom. And when I first started up the business, I was gobsmacked at how easy it is to just start up an agency and just send any Tom, Dick or Harry into a care home. Yeah, they've got training. No problem. I'll create a Word document for you. That's it. And they go in and they're providing care to vulnerable residents. And I, 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 I see it from both sides where the CQC is massively stretched. The home managers are getting absolutely hammered on their budgets so that they are price driven. But the, the the freedom that agencies have to to just completely do what they want. And, and there has to be tighter guidelines, tighter, more red tape. And, and I'm making a rod from my own back because, you know, undoubtedly we'll run into issues. We'll have candidates that we, you know, can, can no longer send to work. But it all starts from compliance. You know, if somebody doesn't have a right to work, if they've got no training, if they've got no experience, that's the first hurdle we're going to get to. So compliance for us is is a, is a massive focus. And um, and like I say, it, it's, it's the first stumbling block that somebody will get to. And if they don't meet our requirements, we're going to say, sorry, you cannot work for us. So, you know, I'm, I'm really, really sorry. But they'll go and find an agency that will take them on and they'll We'll put them through online training and then they'll be able to work in the same homes that we're working in for, for far less cost. And the, the home manager will think it's amazing. And then the CQC come in and go, hang on a minute, this person can't work a hoist. You know, they, they can't do personal care. They can't speak English. That's where then it falls back on the home managers and it just it falls apart at the seams and it all starts from compliance. Bradley spoke about compliance as far as staff are concerned. How do you view that? As far as buildings are concerned, is is compliance the mere word of it enough to uh, get people talking to you? Do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think so. In terms of staff, um, internally, I wouldn't say that they fall within my sector or their responsibility in terms of the external wall. In, however, I think there's a responsibility the staff in terms of the building owner or the management company of the care home. Um, there's definitely a responsibility of compliance to say, well. You know, we're looking after these people. Surely the building needs to be looked after as well. That's very good to hear, I must say. Let me bring it back to Neil, because uh, having heard what Kevin and Bradley have said there, they don't seem to be fully paid up members of the CQC Supporters Club. Uh, I suspect that's probably what you're getting from uh, other of your clients, aren't you, Neil? Yeah, I mean, I'm a great believer in um, effective regulation. Um, and at one time, I used to act for regulators um, uh, in England and, and Wales. But um, I do come across um, situations where sort of inspections aren't conducted properly and where it does very often come down to the, the whims, the preferences, the personal views of, of, of inspectors. And it's trying to sort of unpick that and, uh, and, and sort of making sure, really, that one goes back to the good principles of regulation. One of the concerns I've got is that... Um, after the pandemic, CQC have come back out and their focus very much is on this risk-based inspection model. So when inspectors come into services now, I think they come in with that mindset that they're going to find problems and they look for problems. Um, and um, rather than you know automatically looking for the good, as it were, improvement is actually in the legislation. They should be encouraging improvement within mm-hmm. 
um, the sector. But I fear that the focus very much, as uh, I think Kevin has mentioned, um, is very much on sort of the negative. That's interesting. OK, well, let's move on to um, to um, uh, Kevin as well at Care Inspections. I think it's probably best to clear up where Care Inspections lies in terms of CQC, because you're not one and the same thing by any means. So how do you work uh, and tell care homes what you do as opposed to what they're expecting from CQC? The process of uh, a Care Inspections UK uh, inspection has similarities to a regulatory inspection but it also has many differences. The fundamental differences are that it's evidence-based. All the information is available back to the care home because it focuses on continuous improvement. Yes, we do find um, breaches and we do report on those, but we don't. what we don't do is just focus on the negative. We try to enable a care home to, to continuously improve. And over a period of time, care homes do improve. They do actually achieve better outcomes. And fundamentally, they improve the care for residents, the working life for for staff, they help help relatives become more settled about uh, their relatives living in the care home. We we are not a statutory organisation, but we are registered by UCAS, which is the United Kingdom Accreditation Service. And that accreditation um, means that we are subject to surveillance and and we are very accountable for what we do in terms of our inspection reports. Our reports now are used very much as uh, evidence that can challenge CQC inspections and they, they can actually magnify and assist a care home or a provider in understanding specific issues to do with breaches of, of, of regulations. So when, when a care home calls you in, uh, is it often before they're expecting a CQC inspection or or is it by that time, is that too late? Do you need a bit more time to work? It's all of the above, Alan. We, we have lots of regular clients, uh, which can be an individual care home. It can be a, a medium-sized group or it can be a very large group. Um, we, we work across the whole of the sector and many of the large uh, care home groups, for example, are our clients of ours. We also work on behalf of banks, financial institutions, and also the regulators will sometimes be asked by the regulators to, to go and inspect care homes. We also inspect on behalf of local authorities and other commissioning organisations. Anybody can commission a report in terms of an inspection process. Some people use it as a quote, um, mock CQC inspection, unquote. Um, but it's far more than that. That's part of what, what we can do. A lot of care homes call us in a little bit late when they've had a poor rating and they want to, to deal with that. One of the problems that CQC has is it can't act very quickly when a care home has say, an inadequate rating, it seems to take forever for that that rating to be reviewed. Now, we can go in and provide the evidence, and that information is then provided to CQC, and that can get them back a lot quicker. Ideally, the, the best care homes are the ones that actually take continuous improvement as a very serious and objective process. Uh, in which we can 
uh, or support them in achieving better outcomes. And it, it probably links in very closely with, with, with Neil's work that we can actually provide objective, um, credible evidence that can challenge CQC. Um, and the information is often used in, in challenges to what CQC and others are doing. I must state, though, it's not just CQC, it's also the other three regulators throughout the UK. Yes, that's an important point to, to bring out because there are obviously different things, uh, Wales, Scotland and Ireland as well, yes. Uh, Bradley, I, I would have thought that what you're hearing there from both Kevin and Neil, uh, the people that you're putting into care homes, do they feed back to you about the state of the care home or whether they are compliant or whether they've noticed things that should be put right? Um, yeah, I, I mean, it goes back to who we recruit and we take it very seriously and that the staff that we have are, are very healthcare orientated and we have candidates that say, I don't want to work in that home, you know, and, and they, they they call the home certain things that I, I won't say publicly. And, you know, we have to feed that back to our clients and say, this is the issue. And, you know, some clients take it well, some go, oh, we don't want to work with you then. And, and you know, they take it personally. I, I, I think the home managers are they're massively stretched that their, their, their number one issue at the moment is budgets and staffing. And then they've got the CQC breathing down the neck as well and head office breathing down the neck because the industry as a whole has just gone downhill and they've sort of been forgotten about a little bit. It's, it's, it's very difficult for us to go back to a client and say, you know, this is, this is the, the issue we have. This member of staff have said that, you know, you're not, the property isn't up to standard. It's, it's, it's falling apart. And, you know, the, the first thing they come back with is we don't have money for it. And that's where I think that, um, you know, the, the government definitely needs to do something more targeted towards private care homes, um, even bigger groups. I, you know, I know their businesses. I know that a lot of them have to make money. But at the end of the line, there is a resident in that care home that has lived their life. They've paid the taxes. They're paying them money. They deserve care. They deserve time, attention. And they're not getting it. For well, yeah, no, it's a very important point because it is, after all, it's, it's not just a care home; it is their home, yeah. which uh, they've they've moved into, and they should be properly cared for. And bringing it back to to Neil for a moment, listening to what uh, both Bradley and Kevin have had to say, I would I would imagine that the sort of services that Kevin is offering would be very useful to you, Neil, to help with your clients on occasion. Indeed, so um, yes. I mean, I was making some notes. Uh, as Kevin was uh, was was talking, because clearly there's an issue. Obviously, prevention is, is the best uh, approach, and uh, and obviously we'd much rather you know sort of have things work well within the service, so it doesn't become a dire situation where there is um, you know serious enforcement action taken. We have to look at the cost of non-compliance because the cost of non-compliance is is considerable. Uh, compared to the cost of compliance in one sense in getting sort of um, experts like Kevin uh, on board at the beginning. Um, I back up the point that CQC is not transparent as an organisation. That's troubling to me, I must say, because you you have to uh, have um, sharing of information uh, within certain bounds, of course, but uh, that's important, I think, in sort of discharging CQC's protection brief. Also, I just wanted to sort of focus on the the consequences of non-compliance, really, because there's a a hierarchy of enforcement action that can be taken, starting with requirement notices, moving up to warning notices. And then you can get into the domain of having conditions, restrictions imposed on your business. I'm talking um, about CQC, but it could equally be uh, the Care Inspectorate Wales or in Scotland as well. 
Um, and then you get into the, the the top tier, as it were, the most draconian powers, where you could be looking at cancellation of registration on a, a slow basis or in extreme situations, um, urgent action being taken to uh, to close the service and move people out. All of that can happen. Uh, and clearly that's to be avoided. But where there are difficulties, um, it's very important that um, providers do show insight and also that they get appropriate support um, from the likes of Kevin. Yes, no, that is important. And, and, and Kevin, to come back to you there, I mean, I, your relationship with the CQC, you're there obviously to improve quality, to reduce risk, all, all the right things. What sort of relationship do you have with the CQC? Do they, do they find you helpful or do they find you, are they a bit prickly towards you? How, how, and, and with other inspection bodies as well, how does it work on a day-to-day basis, do you think? I think it's a very positive relationship that even though there are limitations in the way CQC discharges its duties, partly structural and partly organisational, I still think that they're trying to achieve the best outcomes for for care homes and for people that live in care homes. I think that fundamentally, the likes of CQC and the other regulators are there to to achieve better things for for people. But I think they're limited by the the methods that they, they, they employ. And unfortunately, one of the problems that happens is that organisations tend to compound errors they tend to build upon the errors that they, they have inherent in, in their systems. One of the, the issues for us is that um, we've been working for, for some considerable time on a system that takes inspection away from regulation. As I mentioned at the very beginning, regulation is, is absolutely critically important. There must be an effective regulator there must be an effective inspection system. But it's a conflict of interest often. Would you and like to see Britain go down the same sort of route as you described in places like the Netherlands? Definitely. There would be very two important outcomes if that happened. Firstly, you, you get much more continuous improvement in care homes. Care home operators and care homes would see the development and driving of quality to be a critically important factor. The second thing that's really quite important in these very difficult times is the cost of inspection regulation in, say, the Netherlands, for example, is about half the cost it is in England. And so a a care home, for example, pays about half the, the, the cost it does for CQC and gets a better service and better reports and better outcomes. So it is a win win situation. Now, we've been working um, with CQC, with UCAS, with the universities, with many providers on programmes to develop independent inspections. And that's why this organisation was set up in 2016. This is why there's been a a very consistent drive towards this, this, this process. And I think in some stage in the future, there will be a um, a trial process occurring. There have been some um, uh, research-based trial pro- processes in, developed, but I think they'll be broadened out. And you asked me the question, would I like to see it split up? Yes, I do, would, and I, and I think it will happen. And I think if it wasn't for such a difficult political environment, that it probably would be happening now. You're listening to the Care Home Management Magazine podcast.
Providing the best quality care means having the right people in the right place at the right time. And that's exactly where RotorCloud can help. RotorCloud makes managing your care team's rotors, attendance, and annual leave easy. With its simple drag and drop planner, you'll be creating rotors in minutes. While its built-in budgeting tools mean you'll know exactly how much you're spending on staffing before sending the rotor out. It could even help you reduce your agency bill. Start your 30-day free trial today by visiting rotacloud.com chm and see how much easier organising your care team can be. Okay, let, let's move on to a look at uh, Bradley's situation then uh, with first choice and choosing the right staffing agency and the right the right people. Bradley, when you uh, get called up by a care home and you're asked to uh, provide staff, is it always a question of fitting the right people to the right places? Is there a danger, as far as you're concerned, uh, with compliance of putting square pegs into round holes? Yeah, I mean, 90% of the time we're getting a call, it's, it's somebody's called in sick or somebody just hasn't shown up or they've walked out of the home or quit the job or, you know, whatever the, it will be. And it will be an emergency. And it, don't get me wrong. It's very easy as a business owner with, with cost implications and everything to go, we need to fill it and let's get it done. But it's, it's again, remembering the resident at the end, you know, who, who, who are we going to be looking after? What unit are they going to be working on? Do you want a female or a male? You know, certain people don't want female personal care or male personal care. What, what what are they going to be doing? Uh, what are they going to be working with? Is it dementia? Is it old age? Are we going with um, supported living? And understanding exactly what that client wants from us for, for two perspectives. One, we'll get repeat business because we know exactly who to send in there. You know, if we've got a support worker and we're sending them into a care home, they're going to do one shift and go, never send me back there again. And the home will say exactly the same thing. And, uh, and more importantly, the resident. You know, if we send the wrong person into that resident, they're not going to get the care they need. They're going to be frustrated. They're going to be upset. The family are also going to be frustrated and upset. The home will then be upset uh, upset and frustrated. You know, they're going to get a complaint from the family and the resident. And it just, it spirals from there. And it's tailoring our approach and the conventional, yeah, no problem, we'll send a body into you, to we're actually going to give you what you want and what you need, and we're going to tailor the service to you. I understand that. I'm slightly afraid to ask this question after what you said a little bit earlier on, but when you introduce yourselves to a new care home or a new care home group, how high up in their questioning of you does compliance come? I, I slightly wonder that there, there may be some care home groups and individual care homes who, frankly, don't worry too much so long as they've got the right number of bodies looking after people in their care homes yeah i mean there is we we sort of put it out there that this is exactly what we comply to each client is different um each client will have different training requirements some will want mapper some won't there's various different things so we will often ask them the first question we always get asked is price you know send us your rates over and it's the biggest stumbling block because there are agencies out there that will go, we'll earn 50p an hour and I'll send my mate into work if I can't do it. And they often have a stint of six to 12 months. We uh, we quite often get a call to say, hi, I'm, I'm working at this home for such and such. Do you pay cash in hand and can I use my friend's right to work? And we're like, 
no, it's mm. completely illegal. Um, and we're going to have to report that. And we spend our life doing that pretty much. And it, it, that's become a, a completely separate role um, to try and clear up the agency space. And unfortunately, it, every agency every agency gets branded with this, you know, you're just in it for the money and you're just in it to make a buck. And Josh, from your perspective, how important is cost when it comes to the care homes you deal with? What sort of what sort of response do you get when you uh, admittedly try to quote them as, as as little as you possibly can? But it's still quite a substantial amount of money that they're going to have to pay. Yeah. Um, well, the, the beauty, I suppose, of it is that we can provide two quotes, one being a, a desktop review, given that all the information is available or be an intrusive needs to take place because no one knows what's between the external walling builder. Uh, but the reaction, um, more so than not, is obviously a bit higher than people might first expect. But we always encourage our clients to go to market and they, you know, they always come back and say, right, you are the cheapest. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a surprise at first. It's something that just needs to be done for the safety of, of all the residents involved. Now, that, that's encouraging. And I, I, coming to you, Neil, I would imagine uh, what comes across your desk occasionally. Do you find when problems arise in the sort of field uh, that Bradley's been talking about, is it a case of care home blames agency and agency replies by blaming care home? Is there an element of that that you have to try and sort out? I, I, I don't come across situations where there's sort of open warfare between sort of <laughs> agencies. I, That's I, encouraging. I, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are clearly discussions that go on uh, on both sides. Um, but, but, but clearly there are sort of issues, I suppose, about the liability that can sort of uh, arise on the part of a care home provider, for example, where there are issues about the quality of staff that are provided by some agencies um and um but also obviously the issue about how they sort of manage those staff and deploy them as well but i think it's all very important i mean that's an issue in itself as to as to how agency staff fit in with cqc's uh, regulation of care homes because some individual inspectors really do not like um, agency staff at all um, and um, they criticise um, the uh, homes for, for taking on what they perceive as too many agency staff although obviously they provide an essential um, source of, um, of staff you know in, in, in difficult situations and there's a staffing crisis around the country. One thing I just wanted to pick up on actually was in terms of compliance we focus quite a lot on CQC but obviously it's more than that, because the consequences could be CQC enforcement or CIW enforcement in Wales, or um, but uh, for example, but you've got the issue of commissioners, how they may respond to issues of uh, compliance because they go in themselves and form their own judgments about compliance under their contracts, for example, that they may have, or, or as part of safeguarding inquiries that go on. And very often there's a disconnect between what CQC may say about compliance and what um, uh, commissioners may say for example yes. so there's all of that then there's the police the police can become involved in investigations uh, and if they think there's been a sort of gross dereliction as it were um, of uh, the duty of care road to to residents then obviously they can get involved and prosecute indeed and kevin when you're carrying out an inspection in care homes does this uh, uh, element of agency workers or full-time staff does that come across your radar and occasionally you have to react to something there 
it's interesting because I, I, I can echo um, what Bradley says, um, and I, I absolutely um, encourage and, and endorse what Bradley says about the need for better um, compliance and um, better accountability for um, agency providers. It's interesting to me that, that it's very easy to just set up an agency. It's very easy just to send people into care homes. And as we know, the onus is actually on the provider of the, of the service, the actual care home, um, in terms of um, what that, that individual does. And we can often track poor care situations, both in terms of documentation or situations that have occurred or critical incidents to certain agencies. Um, and it's, it's interesting also to note that Good agencies are very, very thorough and very, very dedicated to providing the right type of, of people to train them properly, to supervise them and ensure that they meet certain standards. Unfortunately, because there's not a universal standard or requirement for this to happen, it's dependent, dependent on certain agencies. So Bradley's agency, for example, has got some very strong systems for finding the right people and ensuring that they're, they're managed properly and i think this comes out in 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 what we do because we're, we're inspecting hundreds if not thousands of care homes and we can actually see the various agencies and what they're actually producing at the coalface um, and one of the things i'm really very interested in is the training and supervision of, of of agency staff if if an agency worker moves around and goes from different agency to different agency i think that's quite a, a significant warning bell for us and we can see it because we often inspect homes that are you know very close together part of the same organization part of different organizations you know for example we might inspect 20 homes in wolverhampton just as an argument for argument's sake and um, the reality is that we'll often see agency staff working across different different homes it's quite con concerning i'm sure bradley and, would yeah would and bradley do you do you have obviously you have experience of that as well do you do, do people moving from agency to agency that that presumably is a is a worry to you i would imagine yeah i mean we we we, we have a very strict two-strike rule um depending on the severity of you know a lot of the time you're working in a very high stress environment and you're dealing with people naturally you're going to clash and you know for those sorts of issues we're a bit more lenient um but when it comes to the actual job we're very very strict and there are many people that we have had to turn around to and say we do not want you representing our business i'm really sorry but we have no control of what they do we've had incidents where you know a, a, a carer has been accused of, of something by a by a care home um and we've gone yeah no problem we'll begin the complaints process and they say to us, please ban them. No problem, they're banned. They stop working from us. You call them up and they're working for another agency the next day. It's very hard to monitor people, I get that. And it's very hard to keep a track on the thousands of agency workers that work every day. However, it's, it is far too easy. There's no red tape and there needs to be. It's a, it would be a pain for us because we'd have, to, we'd have to comply to more. But ultimately, we could turn around to cqc or safeguarding and say you don't regulate us and we're not complying see you later yeah. we don't do that because we don't want to we want to get the issues resolved 
Um, and luckily, it's very rare we have them. But the, the, there is no one that regulates agencies. And it, it, it's part of the reason we're, we've signed up with ABSCO. And if, if anyone listening want, wants to check them out, they're campaigning for stricter compliance among the private and the, the public sector. Um, they've got a lot of um, MPs backing and, and they're really, really pushing for it because it's dangerous that these are vulnerable people and you could be sending a serial killer into a care home. And that's that's the, the most extreme example. But the most common example is that they're getting neglected. They're not getting the care they need. And it's all because somebody has seen this as an opportunity to earn money and, and, and taking advantage of it. Well, let's move on to look at the outside of a care home. We've been looking at uh, inside and the things that go on there uh, in terms of uh, compliance. But let's look at the outside now, because a care home's biggest worry is always going to be that dreaded word fire. And uh, Josh from SFI, that's something that I know is very dear to your heart uh, and the government safety regulations that are in place. What do you see as uh, the situation regarding care homes at the moment? Are they concerned about the outside of their homes or are they more concerned with what goes on inside do you find um well i think at the moment they're more concerned with what they find inside and the government brought out the building safety act in april of 2021 which introduced something called an fra ew which is the fire risk assessment or appraisal of the external warming system us being sfi we attend site uh, conduct intrusive inspections at key locations of the building to see what the primary makeup is. Now, for example, it could be brick, it could be cladding, um, and then we'd like to see what the insulation is. Is there any fire barriers in place? Uh, breathe the membrane, finally back to the substrate. Now, this is just as important as the internal, but I think is is something that's been overlooked and only brought to everyone's attention because of the tragedy at Grenville. Um, now, now care homes, I don't really think has been uh, tapped into at, at all, to be honest. And given the vulnerability you know, of the residents with limited mobility, some maybe wheelchair bound, I think is a really important aspect of, of the uh, building safety and the documents available that, that really needs to be looked into. Everybody, of course, noted Grenfell and all the, the, the horrors that that uh, produced. Uh, I would imagine right after that, there was some keenness. Has, has Grenfell now kind of dropped away in people's importance when you talk to care homes and then it's, it's, it's gone back to being, dare I say it, put in its box? Um, no, I don't think so, because it's still very much what people can associate to the external wall. So as soon as you would say you bring Grenville up, People who are not so much clued up in the industry immediately know what what the what you were talking about. So I wouldn't say it's putting his box as such, but I definitely think it's um, it's still there and it's something that people are still very much aware of. And as far as the regulations are concerned, care homes are considered high risk. How do you define that? What does the government define as high risk as far as a care home goes? Well, so it started off at any building over 18 metres because the ruling was that was the length of a fireman's ladder. Believe it or not, that's where it kind of come from. Then it was reduced to 11 metres and then they said any multi-occupied residential building, therefore being two flats or more within a building. Now, they've brought in care homes 
as high risk under the building safety regulator. Uh, I'm also built, uh, I would say Kaylin's over 18 meters. Have a date to October of this year. So any building or no care home or no management company actually needs to register their care home um, onto the portal, which says um, that they have conducted an FRAW, which they've there's so many things that the government's now introduced, such as the golden thread. But basically, um, they have this allotted time where there's accountability. That the, that the owners are doing something, they take a you know, proactive approach to saying, right, what's the external material of our building? Is it safe? If not, let's put it right. And what are, they, what are you finding uh, are the common things that need putting right as far as care homes are concerned? Um, it would be insulation, really. Mm-hmm. Anything. Um, given the, the time of build, um, there may be PIR in, in place. PIR is um, a combustible insulation and usually Euro class between a B to E. Now, Euro class is um, combustibility rating. And so in, when you go and advise a care home, uh, do they tend to be horrified by how exposed they might be? Yeah, sometimes, because our our approach to um, the whole process, if you like, is that a care may get in touch with us or a client of student accommodation, um, anything which is of multi, multi-occupancy that sleeps overnight, different to offices, um, will get in touch and say, out of the blue, you know, uh, we've used about FRAW, this is something that's been asked for, can you help? Um, so we tend to ask, we send a bespoke list over, a bit of a Q&A um, that, to the best of their knowledge, the client will fill out. Um, from this, we can do a desktop review. And more than likely, we'd like to see the amount of information on the building that's available, so the fire risk assessment, the fire strategy. Usually these are available, but when it comes to the as-built drawings, the O&M manuals, nine times out of ten, this just isn't available, just because due to the age of the building and you know, a KO could be passed on to different management companies and lost within that, that trail. Therefore, for that reason, then an, in, an intrusive inspection needs to be carried out. Whereas if all this information is available, then a desktop review will suffice to producing the documents that they require. Because when an FRA EW is produced, it's produced on the basis of a low risk, low to medium risk, medium risk or high risk, based on a more holistic approach uh, to reviewing all the information available and what is photographic evidence taken at the time of inspection. And to go back to the answer, yes, yeah, sometimes uh, you know the care homes are horrified to think, oh my God, you know, we've got we've got the internals all up to date and everything's fine from that point of view, but we haven't even thought of the you know the shell of the building. With the wrong inf- the insulation and no fire barriers, you're effectively a chimney effect. We've got stuff burning between the outer brick and the inner substrate, and that's acting as a chimney all the way across and at floor levels. So that's what needs to be taken again. Yes. yes, and I'm sure there's never an awful lot of money to spare as far as the care industry is concerned. When you tell a, a care homeowner what's required, cost must come into it. Does that tend to put them off, or, or are they now realising that it's a cost they've simply got to face? I think it's a cost they've simply got to face. I mean, some of the costs that we have seen from competitors is ridiculous because we're tenfold uh, cheaper in the market. Because I think not only are we SFI not protecting, but helping 
um, the entire industry and put um, care home owners at ease to think they've got safe uh, buildings. It's it's just something that needs to be done. Um, now, where the government can come in and help is on the building safety fund. And that, that part is after the FRAW. If for whatever reason it was deemed as a high risk, then we can help in that process, obtain a fund from the government then as well. And that's all we have time for today. My thanks go to Neil Grant, partner at Gordon's Partnership Solicitors, Bradley Lambert, the managing director at First Choice Nursing Group, Josh Tedstone, director at SFI Limited, and Dr. Kevin Groombridge of Care Inspections UK. This has been a Care Home Management magazine podcast on compliance, kindly sponsored by RotorCloud, online software that makes managing your care team's rotors, timesheets, and annual leave easy. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. We've got more on the way in the next few weeks or so, so I hope you'll join us again. But for now, it's goodbye. Goodbye.